Sampley. Sampley, is that you? No. Uh, my boy, you've returned. I found you. Why do you look so old and you have such a long beard? You can see me? <laughs> I haven't seen my own reflection in seven years. <laughs> I, I feel like it's been a lot shorter than seven years since the last time I've talked to you. But yeah, sure. <laughs> I have always like wondered if it'd be funny just to like title the podcast is just like casual movie conversation and then people click on it and it becomes this like extremely dramatic just sheer (laughs) like like audio book most dramatic like recording exchange like just like it becomes like like a a war zone scene that we just act out (laughs) with our voices (laughs) yeah we don't we don't talk about movies at all until like the last 10 seconds where i'm just like (laughs) we become we become the movie exactly (laughs) That kind of a meta thing, but then wow. they just kind of slip it in for those regular viewers. Like in the last ten seconds, I'd be like, "Yeah," and I and I watched Paddington too, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like at the end, you just hear like all these like this war zone sound effects and like weird animal noises and everything, and then you finish it by just saying, "Oh, and by the way, the new Puss in Boots movie was, <laughs> was glorious." <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I'm funny I've, enough. Uh, I'm just. I'm gonna dive in right there with you because I have to just tell you that, you know, sometimes like, like an animated movie that's like a kind of remake of like an old kids movie. It'll come out and it'll just get like so overhyped just because it's funny to do it on like yeah. TikTok or on Instagram. I mean, I was just getting like just inundated with like Puss in Boots, <laughs> just like jokes and stuff <laughs> and i was like okay 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 i get it i get it it's fashionable to like make it seem like it's a masterpiece i went and like checked out a couple of the scenes and a couple of like just like the sequences in the film and do you remember like when uh the spider-man like into the spider-verse came out the animated yeah. one that was like yeah, great all, movie. it was like a mixture of like 3d and 2d animation it just absolutely just blew people's minds it very similar effect with this one <laughs> <laughs> so you are too blown away i was blown away i was like one of like the coolest villains in a movie i've seen in a hot minute like multiple storylines handled very well at the same time and also like i genuinely laughed at some parts not just like courtesy laugh because like a niece or a nephew like yeah. a little kid is with you but, like, like oh my gosh that was actually really funny <laughs> And I don't know, just I, I think that's a very cool like evolution to watch that these films are just getting more and more like okay to be good. Like they're yeah, like, and the animators aren't afraid to like go for it. I so I I too saw like it on Instagram, like blowing up and like all these clips of people saying it's a great movie and stuff, which you know, I was like, Oh, okay, so like it caught people off guard. And then I saw that it was in Letterboxd's top 250 movies of all time <laughs> and like ahead of like some classic heavyweights. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, all right, the meme has gone too far. But yeah, 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 yeah. No, same thing. I, I was like, I was like, yeah. okay, either everyone's in on this and it's just getting annoying or there's actually something to be found here. <laughs> like, I don't know, because I now that there's so much hype, I too want to see it. But I don't know how one, I can't go see it by myself. <laughs> Two, I, I can't I don't know how I'm gonna convince my wife that I wanna go see Puss in Boots The Last Wish in theaters <laughs> and drop forty bucks. And then like like do I watch it alone on like in shame? 
and then like and then I won't be able to talk to anyone about it. You know what I mean? So I'm in a dilemma. I might and I, I might get, you know, I might get some some reactions for saying this, but usually if there's a movie I wanna see but I can't really justify doing the seeing of it i'll find like one of those reaction channels on youtube where they film themselves reacting to it and i know it's not every second of the movie but i know they're going to put in all the key parts so that they can catch themselves reacting to it for their audience and that'll usually like give me a pretty good sense of what's happened and that's how i saw this one is i just like found a reaction channel reacting to the film and even just like seeing the little kind of high points and key sequences when the video was over, I was like, that was a, that was a great little movie. That was a great movie. <laughs> you know what? All day, really, uh, you know, this entire week, since we've planned uh, to get together and talk about movies, I did not think the first movie we would talk Neither about. Neither did I. And uh, honestly, every time I say the title Puss in Boots, I'm like, am I really talking about this right now? <laughs> I haven't seen, like, I remember, because I kind of grew up on those Shrek movies, like, yeah. We went and saw them all in theaters. Like my dad took us. I don't think my mom was ever a big fan because they were kind of, you know, more crude humor. Yeah. So my dad would always take take us. I played like the video games, and then like uh, I want to say put the first Puss in Boots came out. I can't believe we're talking about this right now. Um, no, out, I mean, like, go twenty ahead. like eleven, twenty twelve. Yeah like years ago oh yeah I saw it in theaters with like my friends parents but like the movie we wanted like it was like we got we chose a movie and then like his little sister chose a movie yeah and then like somehow we ended up going to see puss and boots i can't remember <laughs> remember what movie we wanted to see yeah. it might have been mega mind i can't remember <laughs> i think it was another animated movie but yeah and I remember enjoying it, and then you, I you just kind of forget about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I saw, like I did, I didn't see any trailers or any advertising. I just see this flood of memes, and it's just <laughs> hilarious to see Puss in Boots in the top two hundred and fifty movies of all time. <laughs> Not only on Letterboxd, but I think on IMDb too. It's just like yeah. okay, people are insane. No, but it, it's funny because I I feel like there is like an element, at least for me, with kind of like the detachment of animation that once you get over the the animation hurdle of like just putting yourself kind of outside of your body it's like yes i am sitting down to watch an animated movie and i'm not gonna judge myself and it's like once you sit down to do it and you like you just allow yourself to kind of have fun with it it's like yeah. kind of it's it's liberating in a weird way it's kind of like the same thing when i first got into some of like the really really like masterfully done like japanese animated films like at yeah. first you're like, okay, I'm just gonna like let myself enjoy this, and then the movie's over, and you're like, that might have been one of like the best experiences of storytelling. I didn't even know I could have with a film. Yeah, I had that feeling with Spirited Away. Yes. That was the first like kind of anime film I'd watched, and it's just so atmospheric, and yeah, it's really just such a strange yet beautiful. Not only in the themes, but like also look at because I'm a huge fan of that 2D art style. Like I think Absolutely. a lot of most people are. And yeah, I haven't yeah. seen all of them because I've, I've seen that one, and then my neighbor Tortoro, I think, is how you say that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's just like so, just so amazing. And you're kind of right; it is kind of like, oh, I'm watching an animated movie, but like I don't know, but it's a real movie, and yeah. I hate how they get that kind of like you know that uh, that bad rap. 
Yeah. Well, it, it is funny because, and I'm sure you've experienced this if you've if you've ever like sat down with someone when they're watching one of those, like one of like the one of those Japanese like animated films for the first time. We're like so conditioned by the kind of direction American culture took animation with like like cartoons and kind of just like 30 minute like episodes and everything that you forget that not all animators draw the same under 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 different conditions they make I mean it's no different than going to a museum to look at a painting like there's been so many moments sitting with someone watching one of the Japanese animated films for the first time they're like oh my lord that's gorgeous yeah because all of a sudden like oh that's what animation is in its most like traditional and like masterful form a hundred percent and like i i really wish disney would kind of i can't think of the last time they did like a 2d animated film it may it may have been princess and the frog i haven't even seen that one yet but like my my favorite ones that come to mind are always uh tarzan because that's just a beautiful film to watch like oh man the artwork and then like lion king and aladdin well, and, then, and then you had the whole spinoff when um um Spielberg and I think I forget his first name, but his last name's like Katzenberg. Yes, this, yeah, they 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 branched off into DreamWorks SKG, mm-hmm. and that and I mean you already know what I'm talking about just by saying the name, but the movies that came out of that partnership, like Prince of Egypt, Treasure Planet, Atlantis, um. I mean, the list goes on, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about, about these just DreamWorks films <laughs> yeah. that just still to this day, just outclass a lot of live action films I see. No, they really do. And they're not only in their, in their uh, enjoyability, but like sometimes their themes and yeah. like the subtext underneath that. And then also just like, and f- I, th- I feel like voice acting is almost like how is this not recognized as like an award worthy, like uh, art form yet? And I'm sure they all have their individual awards, but there's no like main like there's not an Oscar for best voice actor or best motion capture performance, which yeah. is kind of absurd thinking. Oh, you bring up a really good point. Yeah, like how has that yeah. not happened yet? I mean, well, maybe it's because it's so limited. Yeah. You know? Well, it's almost but, like we're kind of you and I are kind of living through it right now with the release of The Last of Us on HBO. Yeah, because um, that is completely one hundred percent, you know, based off of the video game, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden people are realizing that the video game sort of realm is starting to produce things that are on par, if not even better, when it comes to acting and storytelling than filmmaking. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I haven't seen the HBO Last of Us version. But I remember playing the game back in uh, 2013 when it came out. And I was just floored. Yeah. And I remember they have this really great documentary. I think it's called Grounded. And you can watch it free on YouTube for those who are interested. And it's behind the scenes of them making that video game. And, like, the acting is just insane because it's almost to another level because they're in these weird tight suits. It's completely imagined. Them. And then they're, they're opening doors that are made of PVC pipe. And like nothing's there, and they have to act like everything's there. It's yeah. crazy. Well, and you'll you'll get a kick out of this. So you've heard of like the God of War games, yeah? That they've had like a huge resurgence because these two kind of reboot games uh-huh. kind of are like leading the pack right now for just revolutionizing like storytelling and gameplay. Yeah. So they have like an equivalent to the Oscars, but for the video game industry, and for like the best actor award. 
I'm pretty sure they had like Al Pacino. Yeah, I saw that. Present That's where the award. Guy, like, went on a speech for like 20 minutes, but he seemed yeah, like he a. Did. <laughs> he, he, he did, but like that was cool to all of a sudden be like, oh my gosh, they got. And I'm sure you know, there's a lot of more like superficial stuff that goes into getting someone like him to present an award. But like on a kind of symbolic level, I found that really cool that no matter the circumstances they got him to present that award under, I just thought like looking at it from a kind of like 30,000 foot view, I'm like, that's pretty cool that you have such an established movie actor presenting an award for that actor. And watch this. You're going to appreciate this. So Al Pacino, right? Yeah. A couple years ago when he was – uh, doing press for the Irishman, there was this meme going on because of his phone case. Do you remember this? I don't think so. No, his phone case were pictures of Shrek. No, Shrek started kicking the Shrek movies, Puss in Boots. Now we're back on topic. Oh, everything leads back. <laughs> no, but oh no, but seriously, I hate that I just did that. Um, no, yeah, it's it's really cool that people that uh, are in that industry are finally getting recognized because it's it's a lot of really tough work and it's something that I've always loved. To, I've I've been able to do that work once, not for a video game, but for a three D, um, uh, kids television show. Uh, we did a pilot of, and it was just cool being in that. And it's really hard. You have to like overact, but also like keep the performance real. And you have to the only reason you have to overact is for the technology to kind of uh, adjust itself for all the facial expressions because you can't be really subtle, at least with the technology we were using. I'm sure, you know, uh, Naughty Dog, the people who produced The Last of Us, you know, had a lot better equipment than we did out in Decatur, uh, Alabama. Yeah. But man, it's it's such a it's I, I really hope that starts to swing continue upwards where people get recognized. It's just crazy to think that like Andy Serkis has still not been recognized for not only Gollum, but King Kong or any of the Planet of the Apes films for all his work on that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The Planet of the Apes films were just insane. Yeah. And they're already rebooting. (laughs) They're already remaking more. I'm just like, when will they stop? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they need to get Tim Burton and Marky Mark once more. I think they should try <laughs> one more time. <laughs> well, the cool thing with because, like, you were talking about like the overacting and just the like the 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 type of acting that happens oh. in the motion capture realm. What's so cool to me is that one actor can beyond costume changes and wardrobe, they can literally just by voice and posture alone, literally put themselves into you know four or five completely different characters not to where it's like oh yeah i can see that's tom hanks with a wig or i can see that's you know leonardo dicaprio with glasses and a beard it's like the guy who did the voice acting for one of the main characters in last of us he has been in so many video games that he's probably he's probably one of the go-to actors for video games but you don't even realize what games he's in because he's so good at modulating his voice and obviously they can change his appearance to whatever they want to after the performance is captured that you can have yeah. one actor literally occupying all these different worlds without ever breaking the immersion because you realize it looks like the same person. Yeah. And uh, Troy Baker is his name. And yes. uh, in the documentary, right. he talks about how That's when it. he showed up for the audition, you know, he, they had all these, you know, kind of like 
you know, manling in there with thick beards and you know, country. And, you know, he kind of looked like this, like, skinny kid out of a punk band. Yeah. And, yeah. And, he, and then when he gets up to the microphone, he just turns on this, like, deep southern, just man. It just does the voice. It doesn't look like he's actually talking, but he is. Yeah. That's how, that's how good he is at voice work. And then he's also done the Joker uh, for uh, one of the Arkham games. And uh, he, he just does a lot of stuff. So, like, mad props to him. No kidding. But, uh, dude, um, kind of slowing down for a second. How how are you, man? How, how have you been? I've been good. It's funny. I'm trying to, like, and I think you'll appreciate this because you're always looking for, like, hidden gem films. I'm trying Ooh. to, like, go through the usual lists of Netflix and Amazon or Apple TV and find <laughs> the things that – Somebody maybe mentioned like several years ago, or that might have popped up in a little news article, but no one ever really talked about it. I'm on, like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm on a hunt for hidden gems right now. <laughs> oh, dude, it is. You know what? The other day I read um, an article. I think it was like, I think Sundance recently happened. I'm pretty sure that film festival recently happened, and it was talking about. Here are the 15 films from Sundance that people loved, and here are, you know, five that underperformed, and here are five that, you know, are kind of, you know, so-so. Yeah. And I was just scrolling through all these movies, you know, reading. I'm just like, it kind of, I think we've talked about this before. I was like, there are so many movies. Like, I'm never going to watch any of these. It's a, it's Because insane. I have so much to catch up on already. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's just such a different culture because there used to be like the main release kind of pool of films and television. And then there was a kind of middle ground release pool. And then there was the super indie art house release. Pool. Yeah. And now it's every one of those release pools has like seven different sub pools that then flow into 16 different sub pools of, of content. And at a certain point, you're just you're just you don't even know where to begin. Or like sometimes, and I don't know, you may do this too. I like to go on IMDb and I like to do this thing where uh, like I click on a director's name and then I see, oh, I, you know, I didn't know this actor or, or I haven't seen this movie that this director's done. So I click on that and then I go, oh, this actor's work with this director. I click on him. Oh, he did an episode of this. I click on this. Oh, this other actor from this. I think I've seen him somewhere before and I'll click on that. Yeah. And I'll just like kind of do this game with myself. I love IMDb. that. <laughs> and just not, be like, it's, it's look funny. at all these, like, just people that work all the time. Look at all these movies and television shows I've never seen. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that because I, I feel like I do the exact same thing, but I'll almost do it just like walking around during the day. Like, I'll, and I almost use it as like an exercise for, you know, mindfulness or something where I'll say to myself, okay, I'm just going to open my ears and open my eyes and look out for, little you know hints or little easter eggs where maybe the maybe the universe is trying to tell me to watch a certain film and like it's so funny that i'll see like a random article or i'll scroll past you know a random ad on instagram or i'll see a sign or i'll see a poster and it'll just remind me of something and then i'll be like okay of all the things i could have thought of seeing this you know random poster on the side of the road why did that make me think of you know you know blank movie from blank you know many years ago and then you know, I'll, I'll go and, and I'll, I'll focus in on that I'm like okay there's a reason I've thought about this film 
and then I'll sit down and I'll watch it and it'll somehow and in some way usually end up associating to something I'm like thinking about or going through or looking to gain clarity on. It's really bizarre. how <laughs> Or no, like, no. it'll like come up in a conversation a day later without any provocation. Like I'll get the little Easter eggs or something. I'll go and watch it. And then a couple of days later, somebody randomly will bring up the film. I'll be like, what just happened? Dude, dude that, that, that is especially crazy when it's like one of those very niche films. Yes. Like you don't think many people know about. Like yeah. I, uh, one time at work, um, I had just watched this movie called Come and See, which is uh, about. Oh, that's the World War II film, right? Yes. Uh, except it's uh, not it's not in America, but it's in Poland, I believe, right? It, and then, it's like it's like a real World War II film. Yes, it's one of the most harrowing movie experiences I've ever seen. Like it was, I, I will never watch it again because of how just terrifying it was. And it was a it was a great film, but it was also just ah, just ah, made me. No, it's it, it's one of those movies that's so good you can't watch it again because it's that, yeah, it's like that affecting at like. A, and you, <clears throat> And you know it's not a not a lot of people have seen it because it, one it's a foreign film yeah. and it was it's a very underappreciated one for its time just because it's very real in its content of what happens during the war yeah. and like one of my coworkers, uh, we were talking about our favorite war films and he just goes, "I really like Come and See," and I was like, "You've seen that movie?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah," and I was just like, "How? How are you? Uh, how are you still I, like I, mentally okay?" Yeah, I was like, I've just seen, like, no, you know, everyone always says, oh, I like Saving Private Ryan or, uh, you know, or, you know, We we Were Soldiers or, or a, a recent one is Dunkirk. I was not expecting him to say the movie I just watched like two days prior. It was just so weird. And he was weirded out that I was weirded out by that. I was like, yeah. I realize how like niche of a film that is? No, At I, mean, least- I, I think there's like, a, there's like a very subtle, like, undercurrent of guidance for movie watchers like us <laughs> it will like it'll take you to the right things at the right time no 100 percent because this other time uh, so um have you ever heard of the game ghost of uh sushima i think that's how you say it yeah 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 the sa- uh, samurai game yes so i i downloaded it back in august started playing it told a co-worker and then just kind of you know fell off playing it or a really great game but uh two weeks ago my coworker was like, Hey, did you ever beat ghosts? I was like, ah, I never, you know, you know, ended up finishing it, but it was really fun. And we just were kind of talking about it. I was like, man, that really is such a fun game to play. Let me go. So I ended up beating it like two days ago. And now I'm like in this samurai like mindset. So I've been like oh, Akira Kurosawa. Like I haven't watched all of his movies, but now this is the chance. So like I watched Rashomon for the first time. Uh, the other day and tomorrow I'm planning on watching your Jimbo. Like I have to like watch yeah. all these samurai movies as fast as I can as while, 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 you're, while you're in the mood. <laughs> yes, exactly. And are you, are you familiar with a lot of his work? I'm sure you are. I am. And you literally just did it again because I went on like a two night movie binge of samurai movies at the beginning of this week. What Did you really? Which, I, which I ones kid, have you I watched? I kid you not. When this one was, this was almost by accident. I went on, uh, Netflix and I, I didn't expect it but one of their spotlight films on like the starting page was this they're newer they are they're they're newer samurai films out oh. of Japan and I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce this but they're called like it's like 
Ruroni Kinshin, and I think it means like the Wanderer or something. Oh, okay. They're they're they're, they're modern films like really high quality camera work super high quality stunt work but wow. that sent me down like a rabbit hole of samurai content so it's just funny that you literally just did the same thing that's crazy that talking about um what did you think about some of like the kurosawa films jumping into them all at once so i uh, before prior to that i'd only ever seen one a uh, one and it was seventh samurai yeah Funny enough, I actually watched that back in uh, 2019 when we were on set for 12 Mighty Orphans. For real? No kidding. Yes. Yeah, I had picked it up. Uh, I went to like this cool movie store in Fort Worth, and I found it on Criterion for like five bucks. And I was like, oh, they have like no idea like how much this is really worth. And it was like it's like one of the original ones. Like it's not like the new one with the new case. It's like the old school like the first one Criterion came out with. So I had to snatch it up. I watched it. Beautiful film. Uh, so complex. So ahead of its time in so many ways. And of course, so many directors and filmmakers have, you know, taken from that. Yeah. And, uh, I watched Rashomon the other day. And dude, like, again, ahead of its time. Like, it's kind of... I really, really just watching this movie and I really, really hope American audiences and and it's not, you know, some people like foreign films and then they won't watch black and white films. I really feel like <laughs> people need to get over that because they're Absolutely. missing on some of the most beautiful stories. Mm-hmm. And if people don't aren't familiar with Rashomon, it's about this. Um, this man is murdered and the story is about these four individuals giving their testimonies to what happened. And all four of them are very different. And so it's just kind of like, well, what is truth? And, and, you know, I'm still digesting the movie and it's one that, that will definitely sit in my brain for a week or so. So I, I highly recommend it. And funny enough, it's like one of the, from what I've read, it's one of the few Akira Kurosawa films with like somewhat of a happy ending. <laughs> so i'm like oh man yeah. i'm about to watch all of those all of his other movies i'm planning on watching ikaru and then um uh ran oh you know i lied i've seen another uh i saw his last movie dreams have you ever heard of that one where it's I, like a I bunch of I've, short films i think i've only seen a couple of his films now that you start listing them yeah a dreams was his last film and martin scorsese actually plays vincent van gogh in it what yeah, I know. That's the only reason I bought the movie. <laughs> and it's like a collection of short films that were based on reoccurring dreams that he would have. Okay, that's crazy. I, I've never I've never heard of this, first of all. So oh, yeah. It's, really it's great. It's like, it's very short. It's one of those things that like, there's not really a narrative. It's just you're watching just beautiful cinematography and it's, again, one of those movies that will just like kind of sit on your brain for a couple weeks. Like you just go back to like, I think those are the movies. The movies I think about the most are my favorites. Yeah. Um, I feel like I think about The Dark Knight like, you know, several times throughout the week or like The Return of the King or, you know, all these other movies throughout the week. And then there are some that I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that existed, but it's really great. But I feel like that's like you know movies are subjective so everyone's going to have different things that correlate with their own lives and how they see them and why they mm-hmm. like them but uh, 
Man, I just love the fact that we can sit here and talk about movies, man. <laughs> I know. Well, what's so cool is like all the movies you just listed, the more kind of modern examples of just really well done work. Yeah. It's so cool because all those guys were equally probably obsessed with their own list of favorites from the era of, you know, like the Kurosawas and the John Ford, yes. and the Scorsese's and and it's just so cool that it's like this constantly renewing stream of ideas. And I'm always like very interested when someone is really trying to create something new. And the first place they start is by paying no attention to anything else. Like, like they just want to create it in a vacuum. And it's like, but all the most masterful things you love were created yes. directly on the heels of something that directly inspired them. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, hundred percent. That's such a great, unique way of saying that because oh, I do feel like. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I just got excited because you you reminded me of something. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, I was just gonna say um, something. A movie I recently rewatched. I hadn't seen it in such a long time. Was Bottle Rocket, which was uh, Wes Anderson's first feature film. Yeah, and it stars our very own Luke Wilson. Absolutely, who does a spectacular job in it. But after I watched the movie. I was like, and you know, I'd love, I'd, I'd love to actually sit down with Luke or, or Wes Anderson one day and pick his brain on it. Like, but they didn't. It didn't feel like the movie was trying to say, oh, like, or it didn't feel like Wes Anderson was saying as a filmmaker, hey, look at me, look what I just did, look how I'm changing the game. He he was just very much like, here is my really unique, funny story. And that's it. And this is who I am. He wasn't trying. I feel like that's what so many young filmmakers, they have. They always feel like they have to change something or they have to bring something new to, new to the table. Yeah. Whereas if they just bring their story and just tell it honestly and truthfully and have fun while doing it, I feel like it's going to work. And, you know, Wes Anderson may have a lot of problems with it since it's his first movie. Um. But, man, it was just really delightful, and you could tell that they just put a lot of passion and energy into it, and there was no cynicism. There was no – it was just really cool to watch that. And kind and of, you, We make a fantastic point of this concept of, like, forceful showing of a yes. certain message versus, like, a really authentic, heartfelt, almost love letter to what you've loved in the past mixed with your own telling of a certain story that's uniquely yours. And it's like, my like that's where the best stuff comes from is not starting from zero and in a vacuum. It's like you take the things you love and then you merge it with things in your life that have happened to you that you're fascinated by. And it's like when you mix those two together, there's almost like this weird kind of ex like, you know, out-of-body force that just allows an audience to, to feel that sort of intentionality like coming across the screen in a way. No, 100%. Thank you for making that clear. I couldn't really explain it well. Thank you for emphasizing that. I just and, – and you see that with a lot of the great first filmmakers is that their first movies, you know, they're not – they're just trying to make the film. They're trying yeah. to get their start. And I, and that's uh, Christopher Nolan is someone else. Uh, the first feature he did was called following and he shot it. I think his budget was like $15,000. He raised himself. He, all the actors are his friend. His dad has a part in it and you can see 
you can you know he's not fully formed yet you know he's not at inception level yet but he's starting out and you can tell that he's not trying to relay a message forcefully through the screens down your throat to the audience but he's just saying here i am here's what i think i can do as a filmmaker and i hope you enjoy it yeah yeah it's just it's just like pure and honest just you just you're just going for it because you don't there's you just have to get it out i mean at a certain point you're just so passionate about it and you feel these these you know things you want to reference and these things you're inspired by so strongly that it just like creates an example. You just said it perfectly with following. I mean, there's so many great references to older films in that film that you can just see comprise like Christopher Nolan's personal kind of palette of movies. He loved as a kid. Yeah. It just comes out so cool because it's not brand new, but it's fantastically, you know, tried and true stuff in a new context, which makes it feel new all over again. Yeah. And then, and then I think there are some uh, some filmmakers with their first movies that like really do like go for something and they go for it all the way and it ends up working and it ends up not necessarily dictating their style of filmmaking for the rest of their careers, but it ends up being somewhat a part of it. And that like I, I just for some uh, I thought of Slacker by Richard Linklater or I don't know if you've seen it, but the entire movie is done as if it were in one take, but it's a collection of characters from Austin. You really don't know much about them, but it just kind of shows you their daily routines and it goes from character to character. And, you know, he ends up kind of doing that with all of his other movies, like the before trilogy. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and you might, you uh, might've actually been the one that sent me because I thought like a video or an article or something. It might have been you that sent it to me where someone was making the case that most directors are basically if you sum up a director's kind of career, they really just made one big film. And they're kind of just like re-exploring the same things in different ways. Yeah, that couldn't have been me because I have you blocked. But, oh, um, blocked. that might have been before I blocked you. <laughs> no, no, that <laughs> might have been me. But no, that's that's a great <laughs> article. I think I know exactly what you're talking about because yeah, it is just it's and you know it's interesting because um you know this may be looking too in depth into it. I don't know. I just like to sit sit and think about these things, especially as a aspiring writer and director myself, is that like you know, when a director, he or she, when they're a certain age, like they're gonna like if they're twenty years old and they're making a movie, it's gonna be so vastly different when they're fifty years old making a movie. And and I, I just think that's like really cool. It's just filmmaking is just such a great art form yeah. that over time, like, you know, Christopher Nolan, like when he was making following and then insomnia and then memento, and then he has kids. And then after that point on, like a lot of his movies become about family and, and children like uh, inception. What is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's main goal is to get back home to his kids. What's yeah. Matthew McConaughey's main goal to get back to his kids. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I just think that's so interesting that certain uh, events yeah. or moments in a person's life can really affect their art form. Well, and you just, you just hit the nail on the head with like Christopher Nolan's whole thing is he's, you know, one of the few directors right now who with almost every film can claim that they they 
garner just as much of the kind of intellectual audience as they do the casual moviegoer audience. Oh, and, yeah, 100%. And it's cool because, once again, you hit the nail on the head where he's using like these really tried and true familial themes, but he keeps putting them in really inventive circumstances. But because like the heart of the stories are always around those really well-known and super, you know, like kind of soul reaching themes for just really any movie watcher or just anybody that, you know, has parents or has kids or has a family. It just, it, it's just so cool that like with just that, really well-known kind of familial theme but new inventive circumstances he can constantly create something that feels new while still like not making you feel alienated or something wait are we still talking about puss in boots i think so in there somewhere <laughs> well even with puss in boots like the whole the whole center of the story as you'll see deals with very like you know recognizable themes <laughs> and I know that, that's, that's always been the goal of storytelling. So it sounds kind of cliche to talk about, but it's funny how many people tend to miss it. Where like it, the movie becomes about the spectacle and not the people who are living yeah. through the spectacle. Uh, no, uh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, okay. Just uh, again, just to kind of change the subject, not really still talking about movies, <laughs> but was there, was there a specific movie from 2022 that really kind of, uh, Maybe it stayed on your mind or maybe really struck a chord. 2022. I got to think. Let's see. I know I'm still catching up on all the previous years, man. <laughs> but I, I did. Uh, I saw the Banshees of Anishirin. Yes. Did you get the chance to watch that one? I did watch it. I did. What thoughts? That was probably my favorite of 2022. I just – I. It was so like unapologetically itself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, like, I couldn't help but just sit there and just be kind of in awe of just all the actors, just like their commitment to the whole oh, circumstance. Of dude, this. all of them are just fantastic. I think all of them got nominated for an Oscar. Like all, all four of the main actors did. I mean, and that's a testament to the writing too, because the writing's outstanding. Well, and once again, I mean, you probably have what, you know, four or five sets in that whole film, but it, <laughs> fe but it feels like a big movie. It really does. It, it feels impactful in a big way. It doesn't, it doesn't end feeling small, if that makes sense. Like, cause I feel like sometimes you have really good indie <laughs> art house films that feel really meaningful, but they don't necessarily like breathe beyond the size or scale of the location of the film if that makes no, sense yeah no 100 percent. sometimes that's a lack of subtext the, the the on top narrative is so strong that you're like man that's a great movie and then like as time rolls by you're like oh yeah that's a really good movie but there's kind of something missing and i feel like banshees in a sheer and it has this on top where it's like it's this really simple apprentice where two lifelong friends, one of them is just like, yeah, I don't want to be a friend anymore. It just won't tell him why throughout the movie until the very end. And then underneath that, you kind of have this, this they're watching this war from a, a, on another island yeah. where they see, and they don't know why they're fighting. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, man, like that's that's the big picture is. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. 
it can sound kind of simplistic and cliche to say, oh, well, why do we fight? And of course there's reasons to, but it was just, a, it was just a really neat, uh, it's it was the, very it's that make it. And it's, it's, it's kind of like you were saying, like, like the top story can sometimes become so dominant or just this, like the effort to make the scenery stand out or make the location stand out can sometimes be so dominant that you forget. It's not the scenery that enhances the characters it's the characters that enhance the scenery and it's like Um, the characters that make this location feel you know really big or really intimate or really violent or really scary and it's like even uh what what was i say oh um when you were talking just a second ago about like the whole mixing of like this really simple story but these kind of different layers of things happening with the kind of conflict in their town and the conflict in like the country as a whole mm-hmm. uh, that reminded me there's an interview with the guy from naughty dog the company that did last of us the director of the yeah, last uh, neil Druckmann. yeah neil Druckmann. and he said his constant reference point he always goes back to whenever he's writing rewriting directing or editing or, or, or conceptualizing he always goes back to simple story complex characters Yes, and yes. And that is his like guiding light. And the more and more we get into these really cool films that we're talking about, whether it's like Kurosawa or, or Puss in Boots or Van Heeren. <laughs> um, it's funny to say those two right next to each other. Yeah, yeah, it almost feels insulting. <laughs> it, it's the same kind of idea. Where, like the, the, premise, yeah. the premise is very conceivable, but the characters are really just like – you just never know what's going to what's going to happen in any given scene. No, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. And 2022, I thought was a really, you know, what's funny is I think it's a really, really great year for film. I just haven't seen a lot of them. I've just heard so many great things about all these different movies and I, I really got to catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, has, it, has one come to mind yet for you? Uh, was there a specific one? I'm trying to like think back to, like different things I watched earlier in the year. Did you see the uh, Fablemans by any chance? I thought you would really appreciate that one. I didn't see it. I heard it was really good, but I did not see it yet. It's it's great because you're watching Steven Spielberg essentially show the world how smart he was as a child, <laughs> and it's not it, and it's not in an arrogant way. It's in like a, it's it's really cool, like how he as a child like figured out how to. Uh, accomplish these really really hard things with no money and with his friends by shooting these short films and how he fell in love with directing so i would highly recommend that one um i'm trying to think i uh was there a specific tv show maybe you watched in uh 2022 that you really enjoyed yeah let me let me just like dive into my little my memory (laughs) real quick I'll tell you, I got really into, and once again, this is becoming a theme of tangents and subject changes with us. I got really into Korean dramas, like TV dramas. Yeah, you were telling me about one of them that I still haven't watched. Now, that one is a commitment. I'm going to tell you off the bat. (laughs) I I wouldn't go into that one unless you are prepared to cease watching other films and TV shows for the duration of that show. Gotcha. Duly noted. But the show, the title is very 
I they they probably could have had a more compelling title, but the title is Mr. Sunshine. Yes, yes. <laughs> I remember again, like I say that and it sounds goofy, it sounds cliche, it sounds like something silly. I gotta tell you, for someone that really loves just consuming storytelling, it's I finished that back in like two thousand nineteen maybe 2020 it's yeah. still to date the best story like storytelling narrative as a whole from start to end it's probably one of the best viewing experiences i have ever recalled having with anything oh wow even better than my short films i did in high school <laughs> well now those <laughs> Cause my mom because my mom everything. yeah she said they're the best <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but uh, now I, mean, I will. I I will watch Mister Sunshine if you, No Winter, watch Better Call Saul, which I think is the best narrative uh, of any the, television show I've ever seen. We can trade best narratives and then meet back at the end. <laughs> yes, let's do it, man. Um, no, but I mean, pro- probably and very likely similar to what you experience with Better Call Saul. There's like some just magic potion of elements that the Korean filmmaking, television making industry is doing right now. That yeah. Every show I watch, I either feel more joy than I've ever felt watching something, more sadness than I've ever felt watching something, <laughs> or more like fear or more just sheer just entertainment. And sometimes that'll all happen in the same episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and looking I'm, it up right now, Mr. Sunshine, so I can add it to my must watch. Mr. Sunshine. Oh, so is it like a mini series? Oh, no, 24 episodes. It's limited. It's, I guess you could call it a limited series, but it's a pretty long limited series. Um, it's like, it's 24 episodes. Each one is basically about a movie's length. I mean, it's. Wait, each episode is? Each episode's over an hour. I mean. Wow. I'm just looking through some pictures. This is like like top notch stuff. Oh, that's what I was. That's what I'm saying. I could kind of I flipped I flipped onto it randomly back a, several years ago, and I was like, "What am I watching? Like, <laughs> how is this not like? Why don't Why don't we have this? <laughs> no, like, there's so much out there, and uh, it I really is. Are you familiar with the filmmaker Wong Kai Wong Kai Wong or why? I think that's it. Let me look it up. Oh, um, oh my. Do you know God. who I'm talking about? Is he yeah. Korean? I don't wait. Say his name. Is this the guy who did In the Mood for Love? Yeah. Oh wait. I'm sorry. Car Y Wong. Yes. He did In the Mood for Love, 2046, Chung King Express. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he, he yeah, you already know him so and in oh, the movie on, Love is like one of the best movies ever. Yeah, if, if you want to drown in a pool of tears, <laughs> go ahead and watch In the Mood for Love. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great title too and the score is great, cinematography. Oh yeah. And you know what, you know what, you know what amazes me? Like you watch that movie and you think, "Man, that script must have been so meticulous. The storyboards must have been just so like, you know, I bet sweat and blood was just yeah. on them when they was doing them. And he's like, the movie's like all improvised. And he's like, yeah, we didn't really have a finished script. It you know, I, had, I, I know it's crazy. You're just like, how talented is this guy? It's not fair. What? <laughs> I know. I know. It's just like, they, 
that thing is choreographed like like a like a ballet. I mean, it's I know. so like the way the camera moves, the way the actors move. It's like you're, it's literally like you're watching like a dance or something. It's crazy. And then yeah, like uh, there's I think it was the special features I watched that Criterion had, and he's just like yeah, it was like not fun to shoot. Well, he didn't say it was. He said it was fun to shoot, but very stressful because like they were just kind of all over the place, and like the movie does not like seem like that at all it's just no, crazy how that can work that's well i think i'd read like a little snippet but i hadn't tied it to what you just said where it said like when it was premiering at like can or at one of the festivals they were literally finishing edits on it yeah or, or or like fine-tuning the edits on it like an hour before they submitted it that's cr- yeah i i and it's crazy. Or like, or like think, it, it was submitted, but they kept editing it up to. Yes, yeah, I think that's what it was, and then they finished it just before they like premiered it to the to the world. It's dude, that's just unbelievable. That's, that's unbelievable. That sounds so stressful. Right now, I'm actually reading this great book about. Um, it's called. I have it right in front of me. Where is it? That way, I actually say the right title, just in case someone out there wants to read it. It's called "My First Movie: Twenty Celebrated Directors Talk About Their First Film," and it's got you know the Coen Brothers, uh, uh, Stephen Fears, Oliver Stone, James Mangold, um, uh, Steve Buscemi, who I didn't even know. I didn't even know he had directed a movie. Mike Lee, that- Kevin Smith. <laughs> It's got a bunch of these awesome people talking about their first movies they ever made. Yeah. And how they like raised the budget and stuff. And dude, it is to me, like reading that is like it sounds so stressful, but it sounds like the good stress because you're doing what you love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, we gotta make a movie together, man. We gotta quit making podcasts together and go make a movie together. Well, I'm saying in 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 the ramp up to whenever that happens, we can we can start by making little <laughs> like like uh like podcast audiobook action scene <laughs> we we write little scripts and we get sound effects and we literally act and we can we can basically act out a scene almost like a radio show <laughs> dude let's do it man let's do it i'm down and hey like you know like all the greats steal from the greats so our our title and you know we could change it but i, I say our title as of right now for our first feature film better call mr sunshine <laughs> or Mr. Sunshine better call. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like that idea a lot. Uh, well, dude, uh, I feel like, I, dude, holy moly, I can't believe it. Almost an hour has gone by. I'm as, gushing as, about films. As we both know, we could probably keep this going for another. Oh, seven. no, 100%. And, like, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll probably end the podcast right there. Or earlier or whatever, but um, dude, uh, tomorrow's my off day. So if you want to actually just get on the phone, just you and me, and just actually talk and catch up for real, for real, I'd be down. That could definitely work. If there's a time that works for you, I'd love to actually talk to you and see how your life has been. I'd love to share with you and vice versa. Oh, and I actually wait. You can't stop it earlier because there's one thing that you reminded me of earlier that I had to share. Oh, yeah. Throw it in there fascinating because you mentioned return of the king lord of the rings that's like long been the standard in literature and filmmaking for just yes. sheer greatness i did not realize i got a book all about tolkien's just thought process and how he came to writing the stories that obviously the movies were then made about 
I did not realize that Tolkien almost scene by scene got the idea for the whole fellowship and quest with the ring from these like ancient German mythology folk tales that have been told for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Oh, like there is a whole ring cycle story in Germanic mythology and Germanic tradition. But what was so genius, and this wraps up our conversation perfectly, because this whole quest for the ring of power was this old Germanic folkloric kind of tale that was told. And in World War II, obviously, that whole mythology got co-opted by the Nazi party. in turn, whole kind of like domineering thing of the quest for, you know, domination and power and kind of hegemony over the world as you know and Tolkien basically in his personal letters he basically said that his writing of Lord of the Rings was like a personal vendetta against the Nazis oh, to actually get back at them for corrupting the beauty of Germanic folklore traditions and instead of a quest for the Ring of Power, he wrote a story about a quest to destroy the Ring of Power. And uh, my mind was like blown when I wait, read where it. did you read this? This is a book you have? This is a book I have. It's literally I'll have to find the title, but it's like this gorgeous book that talks about where it literally tells you every idea that Tolkien had, it traces it back to a concept in ancient or like pre-modern mythology that he got the idea wow. from. Because he was a consummate lover of like world culture and traditions. And Lord of the Rings was just his attempt to create his own mythology based off of mythologies that he loved. Wow. And that blew my mind when I was like, this absolute standard for greatness in storytelling was not a fully original creation. He himself, probably more so than most other people, oh. took all these elements from already existing things, but then just put his unique spin on them, put them in a unique environment and you get Lord of the Rings. Wow. And it blew I did, I did not know any of that. I'm a huge Tolkien fan myself. That's crazy. I didn't know any of that either. But when I was like, he didn't come up with it. I mean, like he came up with it, but to realize that the whole ring quest was not an original idea to him. And he himself was on record as saying my entire effort with these books is to bring people's attention to the beauty of other cultures nothing wow. in here exists in a vacuum all these names all this all these the word structure the elvish language this is all directly transferred from cultures that i've been inspired by and my mind was just like what i'm kind of blown away too because now it all kind of makes sense Dude, I'm gonna have to check out that book, man. Like, shoot well, me, shoot me a text of the title. I'll, I'll I will, read but that. It gave me such faith that, like, this guy who is literally the grandfather of some of the greatest literary traditions we now have in modern times, he was not creating the vacuum. He literally compiled all the things he loved from different cultures and traditions, and put his unique spin on it. And yeah. that, that was Lord of the Rings. Dude, but it's also that. cool. Like it was like this this deeper mission where he was basically saying, "Okay, well, if you know, they're gonna if these evil people are gonna corrupt this beautiful tradition, I'm gonna write a tradition that cancels that one out." 
like if they're gonna destroy it then i'm gonna save it and i just thought that was it it became such like a cool almost like meta like meta moment of like tolkien was on this like universal mission to save our like our like european traditions or something (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you during that entire thing i was waiting for you to bring up puss in boots to wrap it up and i was like like that comes directly from the whole fantasy realm i I thought you might have been pranking me this entire like i was like i'm not entirely sure he's telling (laughs) the truth i feel like he's about to drop another puss in boots reference and completely destroy the thing and just be like yeah none of that was true but i'm glad it was true in a funny way, I'll do it right now. Puss in Boots did for fairy tales in a funny way what Tolkien did for it in like oh a serious way. Because if you watch Shrek and Puss in Boots, they take all these famous like nursery rhymes and fairy tales and yes. put like these kind of funny modern spins on them. And and I'll end there. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> did you say thank you for coming to my TED Talk? I did. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Oh, man. Everything tracks back to Tolkien or Puss in Boots. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I did not know that's how this podcast would go. Neither did but I. I'll I'm definitely, I'll definitely send you the book. And if I find it out, maybe you can, we can like, you can post it so people can see it. I mean, the book is for anyone that loves storytelling, writing, filmmaking, anything that has to do with like that industry this book about like Tolkien and how his mind worked and where he got his inspiration from. It's as mind blowing as it is inspiring. Cause you realize yeah. you, you just have to find your version of what he was fascinated by. Yes. And then translate that into your sort of own language. And I, I just, it's really, really just been so sensational to read deeper about him and kind of how he, how he operated as a writer. Yeah, I'm not really interested in the book unless it has pictures. Does it have like lots of pictures? A lot of pictures. You okay, will love cool. them. <laughs> There's a picture for almost like every like little chapter. I'm on board then. <laughs> <laughs>